Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions or concerns about your house plants, your plants, or anything in the outdoors, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. I guess I shouldn't say everything in the outdoors. Don't ask me about lighting and all that stuff. I know how to use timers and plug in stuff, but that's about as far as I go. <laughs> Mosby will be along later. He'll tell you about the, the lighting. <laughs> exactly. Stuff. Can help you with that. Yeah. So, Mr. Kelly. Yes. How about the snow? Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I loved it. See, I I uh, I was off Thursday. Ah. That's my Sunday, and so my wife and I planned just to hang out all day and relax, and that's what we did. And I mentioned earlier how I went outside, and I bet we had six inches, I'm guessing. And it warmed up. It was pretty nice in the afternoon. Right. And I went out, and I pet my neighbor's horse for a little while, and the peacock came over, and, you know, <laughs> it was it was awesome. And, right. and, I, and, you know, I live out in the country where it's quiet anyway. It's never quieter than when there's snow on the ground. I agree. Because it absorbs all the sound. Right. And so it's just so nice to be out there. The birds, I've got, you know, bird feeders, and they were loaded. Oh, my goodness. The finches, they were in standing room. They were waiting in line. And the cardinals in the snow, and I love, I loved every minute of it. Do you have any wrens over in your area? Um, yeah, a couple, I think. Yeah, yeah we have many. a lot of finches and a lot of cardinals, uh, some chickadees and nut thatches, I guess, stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. Uh, one cur- one question. Uh, did you make any snow angels? No, I didn't. What? No, I'm sorry, oh. I didn't. I uh, thought maybe you could get a picture of it and put it online or something. You know, I should have. I did put up pictures of uh, the horse and the peacock and the front yard with the light shining through the tree and stuff like wow. that. So, yeah. Sounds exciting. It was very nice. How about you? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like watching it and everything else, and we didn't really have to go anyplace ourselves, so it was perfect. Yeah. When you don't have to go anywhere, right. snow's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people didn't go anywhere because, I mean, yeah. You know, I walk every morning regardless of weather or anything else, and the traffic that morning was basically zero. Mm-hmm. There were so few cars. So I know all the schools were closed, right. even the city schools, but also people seemed to didn't, they didn't go to work or something. Well, you something. can work from home a lot nowadays too, you know? That's so true. So a lot of people, they have that option, and that's what they do, and it works out great. That's very true. Yeah. Great. Good to talk to you. Good to talk with you, Mike. And folks, every Saturday morning we get together and we're going to discuss your yard, landscape, garden, houseplants, how to improve your soils, how about pruning, bugs, diseases, how about plant removal, plant installation. The ground's not frozen yet, so you still have plenty of opportunity to install those woody plants, whether they're conifers or deciduous. Uh, perennials and things like that, it's uh, kind of on the cusp. I mean, they may survive, but they may not get their root systems established enough to make it through the, all that freeze-thaw cycle. And please remember, my words open opportunities. After that, it's 
work on your part, mental, physical, and every other kind. And it is a marathon. There is very few sprints. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg Harvey. He's producing again today. It must be several months in a row now. And uh, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline for several months, since 1994. Oh, my goodness. I've written five gardening books, and two are currently available at various locations. I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting. So I come to your home and do a walk and talk is what I call it. If you'd like to schedule a walk and talk or give a walk and talk as a gift, you can get in contact with me at my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. My email address is there and my phone number is there and I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, I headed off north on Kings Highway and I turned at southwest right where right side St. Louis is. I was going to take my stroll there. I never really start off the day knowing where I'm going to take my stroll. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go there. And then I thought, well, maybe I should go since this is a very big weekend at a place just down the street. So I turned uh, on to Shaw Boulevard. And uh, hints of the recent recent snow were all over the place. And uh, there's kind of a green, a green fringe on post that runs around and right into the entranceway. As I pulled in and parked, a swamp white oak tree refuses to let go of its leaves. And uh, boy, oh boy, it just looked very nice. And as I set my car, took a few notes, uh, the blue moor grass was still green. It was a little bit squashed and flattened, but uh, not too bad. The Japanese berry, <laughs> Japanese beauty, <laughs> Japanese beauty berry. The purple fruits kind of have turned pale. So where am I? Well, I'm at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And along the front of the Ridgeway Center, there are some great trees and shrubs as well. The gold thread branch was a, it looked very nice, planted in front of the Norway spruces. The Japanese maples, they were hanging onto their leaves as well. They're saying, uh, I'm not giving up on 2018 growing season. There's some deciduous holly, red, spri- red spirit, and uh, they were showing the berries very, very nicely. Sweet Bay Magnolias, they were singing harmony with the red-berried China Girl holly. So the first hollies were deciduous. These are evergreen hollies. There's also some uh, white birch trees there, and uh, they kind of... In the scene of everything that's there along the front of the Ridgeway Center, if, if, if this was a musical group, the uh, birch trees would probably be singing, guess what, tenors. Because they're really wispy, very nice, very animated. And there is a huge banner which lists all the events throughout the entire, just the entire year. But today is the opening of the... Garden Glow and the Garden Land Express, which is a miniature train thing inside of the Ridgeway Center. And the Garden Glow is where you can just stroll through the entire garden grounds, and it is spectacular. Also right there at the front doors, uh, dissected leaf Japanese maples stand as doormen, and a nearby sign says, Enter Here. And uh, it was just very, very nice. There's a series of pots that kind of separates the Let's see where the vehicles go and where pedestrians go. And 
really nicely done with all evergreen type of foliage and cuttings, some of them with blueberries. And you know which ones have blueberries as far as the evergreens. Well, those are going to be junipers. And it was just really, really nice. The sky was really getting light, and it looked nice. Some jets were really high up in the sky, so the contrails were kind of crossing each other. And then I realized, well, you know, it's kind of time to go. But this is the opening day for, again, the Garden Land Express, which that's inside the Ridgeway Center. And then tonight is going to be the Garden Glow, where they, I forget how many lights they have across the garden grounds, but it is nothing but spectacular. So if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, that snow was great. When I first got home and uh, I knew I I had to do a few things in the outdoors on Wednesday, We had some folks come out and put a new humidifier onto our furnace. I had nothing to do with that, but I was outside working anyway. And I thought, oh, some of this area seems like, you know, I'm planting bulbs in pots. And I thought, I went out and just kind of pushed down on the top of the potting mix. And I thought, oh, it's frozen. But it was only frozen like maybe a half inch or so. So I went out and churned it all up and everything worked out really fine. Because below the potting mix was just fine. That's why you have to be very careful when we're getting into the wintertime, though, whether it's in pots or in the ground, that if the ground is frozen and you put any kind of plant material in, trees, shrubs, or bulbs, and there's big air pockets in there, that's going to be problematic for whatever you're putting in the root system-wise. So I was very lucky to get that done. Also, we have the Leland cypress, and I did limit up. I cut off probably, oh, maybe... 11 branches or so just to elevate it so I can see the trunk. The trunk is really kind of totally wild and crazy, and it was just elongating too much. It was kind of starting to cause problems for people walking down the sidewalk. I didn't want to have that happen anymore. And uh, just uh, growing anything underneath it was pretty much impossible, not because of the shade, just in general because of the root system and everything else because there's a big boxwood right next to it. And also it was, uh, you know, I just thought I wanted to make it look a little different. So I limbed my Leland Cypress up. Let's go to Lake St. Louis and into Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Good morning. Um, This is sort of a parenthetical question. You just mentioned air pockets with bulbs. Yes. And I have a bunch that I need to, to plant. So I should water them to get rid of those air pockets after well, I get them in the ground? Yeah, every you should always do that regardless. But you probably, your ground is not frozen is my no. guess. right. So right. you don't really have to worry about it. But anytime you plant anything, you should water it. So yeah. whether it's bulbs, whether it's perennials, whether it's ground cover, trees, shrubs, or anything else. Okay, well, I learned something new today. <laughs> my question is, in October... I I've bought I just counted I I have over 500 bulbs that I was collecting in my drive in my garage mm-hmm. as they were arriving from different um, merchants and suddenly it got cold and they were in the garage one night when it got down to 20 in the garage they are now in my laundry room but they feel solid but are they all ruined I doubt it okay so you know. I'm surprised your garage would get that cold. Yeah. 
So Lake St. Louis, that must be much further north than I realize. Oh, not really. Because my garage, you know, I have a thermometer in the garage. It's all part of the system with the electric doors and everything else. Up till this point, it hasn't even gone below, let's say, probably like 43 is the lowest I've seen it. Uh-huh. So you have a very cold garage. Yeah, but, not, not good insulation. It gets really hot. Yeah, I don't have any kind of insulation either, but I'm just surprised. But no, they should be fine as long as they feel firm because if they're frozen, they will certainly feel soft. Oh, I know. I know. Squishy. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, you made my day. All right, great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, enjoy planting 500 bulbs. Wow. You're going to have a spectacular show next spring. Now let's go to Tom in Belleville. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Mike. Uh, my question has to do with roses. Is it too early to cut them back, and how far back do you cut them in it's- height? Yeah, it depends upon what type it is. I think it's a little bit early. Usually, I, you know, personally, I like to wait. There has been a hard freeze or a frost, but I always kind of wait until my roses, the knockouts that I have in pots, until the foliage really starts looking rough. And my foliage is not really looking rough. There was that really cold day where it was like down to 15 or so in the city. I don't know what it got in Belleville, but... Uh, it just, the foliage doesn't look that bad on the roses, so I have not cut them back yet. And when I do cut the knockout roses back, I, they're probably like, oh, three and a half feet tall. I cut about uh, almost, let's say, I cut them down to about uh, 15 or 18 inches, and then I move the pots into the garage. I set them, set them off the floor of the garage on plastic crates. But then if you have... Roses in the ground, like hybrid teas, grandiflores, floribundas, I think the same thing applies to them. It's still a little bit early, and then when you cut them back, it uh, depends upon which variety you're talking about as far as how much you want to cut. But also with the roses, if they're a grafted-type rose, make sure that you put about uh, eight or nine inches of mulch over the, over the graft. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, so you're probably going to cut them back to about 15 inches or so. Climbing roses, no pruning whatsoever. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Mary in Overland. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you this morning, Mike? Very good. Good. I'm glad you're on the show today because I've got a question. I don't know what to do. Uh, Last summer, we had a tropical area in our backyard, and it did very well. And we wanted to keep as many of those tropical plants inside this winter in our lower levels. So my husband put up shelving and the, the plant lights on, you know, to shine down on the plants and oscillating fans. And it worked great last year. But my question is, I don't know what to do with the bird of paradise. They're probably seven feet tall now. <laughs> And can I cut those back? It'd fit a little bit better in the lower level. And what about protons or anything like that? Can you give me a clue what I need to do to help them this winter? Basically, what you've done in the past is fine. If you put them on shelves, though, just make sure. I don't know what angle are there. You're lighting on the underside of the shelf, so the plants that are below the shelf, you know, that's above, is actually getting light because you have to watch out for the shadow you know, from the she- you know, from the shelves creating an impact on your well, plant material. Yeah, these these shelves are just wire shelves. Oh, so okay. They don't block any of the the light, and we, the lights come from above, just like the sun in the sky. Right. So, but can I cut back the 
bird of paradise because, I mean, they're beautiful, just huge, almost three feet uh, long, actual uh, uh, leaves on them. Right, the stems of the leaf. Right. Uh, you can, I, you know, is there no place where you can kind of set them in close proximity and just get another grow light and just put it over the top of it? Or is oh, that sure. just, is it no. too big? It's, but it's touching the ceiling tile. Oh. And I didn't know if that was more damaging than cutting them off. No, that's not, you know, that's not going to be all that damaging. But what you could do is the ones that are the tallest leaves, just cut those off and then leave some foliage so that, you know, you can kind of keep it vibrant. I've, you know, I don't have experience with my, myself with cutting a bird of paradise basically down to the ground like you can with, ban- you know, bananas that are in pots mm-hmm. or, you know, other things that are in pots, cannas and things like that that you can bring in. But a bird of paradise, I don't know about cutting that one all the way down. What about crotons? Crotons, they're a little bit iffy as far as, you know, surviving the wintertime because they really need a lot, a lot, a lot of bright light. And if they're not getting that bright light, what they'll do is they'll survive, but they'll drop the majority of the lower leaves, and then you'll just end up with undersized leaves at the top. Well, when I put them outside in the spring, will they come back? Uh, Slowly. Okay. Well, that, yeah. that's really okay because the hibiscus that I've had like eight years, and every you know spring I bring them, bring them out to the deck, and they are slow coming in, right? You know, but but eventually they get gorgeous. Yeah, as long as you're you know patient. What I do is you know I used to bring in a lot more stuff than I do now. Now I just bring in a couple very sort of sentimental plants that my aunt Cleo gave me when uh-huh. I first moved back to St. Louis, and. Uh, Consequently, all the rest of them, I find that I can just, rather than going through what you're doing, and there's nothing wrong with doing that because I did it for years, I just, in the early spring when the garden centers start having the plant material, I just go and buy a bunch of small ones and then grow them myself. And then that way I don't have to fool around with all this wintertime stuff. Well, I... I understand, and that sounds like maybe I ought to think about that for next year. Thanks for your help with this. Well, have thank you. Weekend. Have a great holiday. Yeah, it sounds like you have a great yard. Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate. You came out and saw it one time. Really? So, and I, I did what you said, and it worked. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you. And, yeah, it's amazing what's going on in the outdoors right now. Uh, One thing, I don't know what kind of trees or shrubs or anything else that you might have in your landscape, but uh, if you've noticed at the tips of branches, you see like a a bunch of leaves that are just kind of gnarled up in a bunch of webbing. And this seems to be pretty darn common. I'm seeing it more and more and more as each year goes on. What this is is the fall web worm. And the webworm feeds on those leaves in that tree, and they protect themselves more or less uh, from somebody coming and eating them because they're little caterpillars uh, by doing the webbing. So, but the, that doesn't really hurt the trees per se, but it is aesthetically kind of ugly. So I've got one maple tree that I've probably got, I don't know how many, and some of them are so high I can't even get them with a pole pruner. But I'm going to cut some of them off because I'm just tired of seeing that sort of gnarly webby thing because it lasts through the entire wintertime. So that's you know something I don't really want to see. But uh, one thing I did see or did read at the Missouri Botanical Garden, they said uh, this is not going to happen on conifers, which you wouldn't think it would because these caterpillars actually eat on the leaves. 
And there's not that much, you know, with the conifers. But I'm, I have a couple wads on that Leland Cypress that I was talking about, you know, limbing up earlier. And also when I was at the Botanical Garden, the deciduous holly actually had some of. So in other words, the hollies have pretty much the deciduous hollies lose their leaves, like winterberry and all that other stuff in the fall. Just, you know, they turn nice color and then they drop the leaves. But the leaves that didn't fall because they had this webbing on them were still, you know, webbed up and hanging there at the end of these, you know. So it's just... There's, you know, with these holly and everything else, they kind of say that they're very specific on the kind of trees. They're going to be more prone to go after these trees, these trees, and these trees. But in my neighborhood, I'm seeing them on maples, this, you know, the sugar maples that I have, linden trees, and a few other things. The trees I don't see them on is the trees that have really big leaves, like sycamores and things along that line. But things with relatively small leaves, it seems like these fall webworms are impacting. So Mike Miller... KMOX Garden Hotline. Any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Hi, Moxie the Elf here. (laughs) Do you have a favorite Christmas character? The one you just can't get enough of? Well, my friends at KMOX want to know who's your favorite. Get ready to vote for yours starting this Tuesday in the Great Christmas Character Challenge. We've got 32 to choose from, from Tiny Tim to Santa, the Grinch to John McClane. Huh? Pick the one that you like. We need to know. The Christmas Character Challenge, starting Tuesday at KMOX.com slash challenge. (laughs) This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Our windows look out onto the north side of the Soldiers Memorial. There's a a park there. I don't know if it has an official name or not. It's a one-city block park, mainly with oak trees in it. And these oak trees, I mean, they have lost none of their leaves for the most part. So it's really kind of surprising. If you look in different other directions, too, you can see other trees have defoliated. But it's, it's not a big deal. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the science behind oak trees holding onto the foliage much longer and sometimes all the way until spring when they're pushed off by the new growth of the next generation of foliage. But they've, many of them have already dropped some acorns, which is kind of cool to see the acorns on the ground. And uh, with your own yard, though, watch out again for that huge buildup if, you know, that's something that happens in your yard yard of fallen foliage. And especially when we have something that, like with the snow, if the snow hadn't gone away so quickly, it can be problematic if you've got several inches of leaves and the snow falls on it. What it does is create humidity, and then for your lawn, that could create a real major fungus problem. So just be concerned about, you know, keeping up with the leaves. So on days when it's nicer like this, get out there and rake the leaves. I did that uh, when, the day when I planted the bulbs. I also did the limbing up of the Leland cypress, and then I rake leaves. Now, I did kind of cheat, you know, as far as raking the leaves. And because I know the street sweepers are coming next week, so... Uh, I put some of them along the curb. <gasps> I guess I shouldn't announce that. Mary lives in Florissant. Mary, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Mike? Very good. I have a problem with a knockout rose. 
I had a very adult one I had to take out this summer because of the spider mites. I put a little new one in, and then a few weeks later, I noticed that the leaves were getting to look like lace. And I don't know, is that spider mites again? No, spider mites don't chew on anything. What they do is they suck. You know, they have like proboscis, kind of a nose thing that they just, they stick it into the foliage of whatever plant they're causing problems with, and they just suck the sap out. But uh, lacy usually means Japanese beetles. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's growing right next to a big yew plant, so I don't know that it's coming from that. No, the Japanese beetles, I mean, they fly all over the place, so... Um, they could be coming in from anywhere. And also the spider mites, a lot of them, some, certain spider mites can spread rose rosette, which is a deadly disease for your roses. Okay. And consequently, you know, that it's an airborne type thing. So that's kind of, you know, problematic. But you didn't necessarily have to take out your rose because it had spider mites. You could get a miticide, which is a type of insect, unless you just choose not to use insecticides. And a lot of sometimes, if the uh, spider mites are not too bad, you can just use a, sort of a, I don't want to say super strong, but a strong spray of water and just knock them off because they generally don't come back onto wherever they are. And a lot of times the water, I don't know if the water kills them or what happens to them, if it intoxicates them or whatever. But it, does, it seems to work pretty well if you just do it on a routine, regular basis as far as keeping the spider mites from being problematic. Okay, well, can I save this plant? Yeah, you should be able to. I mean, the, just next year, watch it as far as the Japanese beetles. And they're probably maybe any place around a quarter inch or so and very shiny looking, uh, kind of a blue-green cast to them. And uh, so just, you know, watch them because they're the ones that are causing usually the lace problems. That's not to say that they're the only ones that cause a lace problem, but that's usually the one that you're going to see more often than other things. Okay, the leaves haven't dropped yet. No, so it's, right. So I can, it's a new, new plant, so I'm not going to cut it down very far. Yeah, you don't, there's no reason to cut it at all. You can just leave it there, and uh, the foliage will fall off. You know, when it's time, when it wants to get rid of them. And then just next year, when the new growth begins from a leaf standpoint, if you have any stems that have no leaves on them, after all the other stems are are already showing foliage new growth, then you can cut those off, figuring that those stems are, you know, dead, basically, non-functional. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> And now let's go to Char in O'Fallon, Illinois. Hi, Char. Hi, good morning. Um, I have a uh, Chinese fringe tree, and it's probably about six years old. And towards the end of the summer, I noticed um, these, they were like um, a bee hornet type um, eating on the tree um, into the bark, and the tree was like weeping um, sap. Um, do you know what that would have been? or? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. I mean, they're pretty tough trees that shouldn't really impact them. So are you sure? My guess is there was something else that actually made the holes that the sap was coming out of. And these bees and hornets were coming around just gathering that sweetness. So it wasn't the, you know, it was some kind of bird or something that put the holes there, and that's what caused the oozing. But the insects realized, wow, here's some free food, so that's what they were going after. Okay. So something else caused that. Um, right. 
cause the tree to start doing Yeah, that. on our maple trees, it's sap suckers. On your tree, I don't know specifically what it was, but uh, the insects generally, unless they're boars, and they're not going to really cause a, a problem like what you're speaking of. And uh, so they're just, you know, the wasp and hornets and everything else are just coming around for the food to feed the queen so she can make it through the winter. Okay. All righty. Okay, thank you. Yep. So it's just, uh, you know, bird-related as much as anything. Let's go now to uh, Ray, and Ray lives in Illinois. Hi, Ray. How you doing? Very good. Uh, I had a question for you. I was wondering, is it too late to plant a couple of uh, blue spruce trees? Heavens no. you got plenty of time. I don't know, you know, what part of Illinois you're in. Maybe if up in Chicago the ground is frozen. No, no, not that far. I'm just, uh, just uh, McCoupin County. Uh, oh, okay. You know, uh, We've had some cold weather now, but it's thawed out. The ground is frozen. We got some warm uh, temperatures for Thanksgiving Day and the day after. I just was wondering about, uh, you know, if the root would take about get them five to seven foot tall from a nursery or something, uh, it would be all right. Yeah, you should be fine with that. Just make sure you dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% is deep. So you want the top of the root ball higher than the surrounding ground. And especially with anything like a spruce or any kind of conifer because they want to have a really well-drained soil. And make sure the spot that you're selecting to plant them is a well-drained spot as well. In full sun is the ideal thing. Part sun uh, could be a little bit iffy. And don't put them too close to your what a building or anything because... Right, right. The, Okay, the backside would you know get overly shadowed and then lose all the needles on the backside. So you should be fine. Okay, now what was that again? Uh, three times uh, the uh, diameter of the root ball. All right. And then three only about eighty percent is deep. So in other words, the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding above, ground. Uh, I got it. I got you. All Great. right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Good luck with that. Yeah. I mean, there's still plenty of time for virtually any of the plant material because the ground is, you know, it is cooling down and it is the warmth of the ground that actually triggers, let's say, root growth. And But uh, the ground is still plenty warm to, you know, get that root growth going. And just make sure, you know, with the spruce trees that if there's any kind of wind, you know, circumstance that you need to be concerned with, usually the spruce trees, even though they're evergreen, they don't need to be staked. But uh, just watch out. If you start to see it bending over, and not just bending, but I mean tilting over, then you might have to end up staking it. So good luck with that, Ray. And now let's go to John in Oakville. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. Yes, I got a poinsettia, and I just brought it in. How do I take care of that? (laughs) As far as getting it to color? Well, to get it uh, not to die. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a house plant, basically. Yes. So watch the inside of the pot. When you start to see the potting mix shrink away and you see a little gap there, then water it really thoroughly and then don't water it again. And uh, that's pretty much it. This time of year, no fertilizer whatsoever. And then when we get past, let's say, oh, early to mid-February, then you can start fertilizing a little bit. But poinsettias don't want to be overwatered, so watch out about the watering factor. Okay, now am I supposed to keep that in the dark, or uh, it doesn't make any difference in the light? Well, it doesn't really make all that much difference. I mean, in theory, they say it should be in bright light, you know, as much as possible, and then as soon as the sun goes down, you know, put it into a closet. 
My mother had a poinsettia for about 20 years. She wow. left it in the same window in the bracts, which are the, the fancy leaves that turn the colors. It's not the flower. Uh, it turned color every year. So, yes, there is certain things. In production nurseries, they do make sure that they go through the dark, you know, dark spell. And what you're really trying to do with that, poinsettias from you know, Mexico, Central America-type circumstance, where this time of year when those bracts, those leaves turn those colors, it's about uh, you know, half the day is light and half the day is dark, so you're trying to emulate that. But I wouldn't f- fool around with it personally. Just keep it in a in in light, right. in a window. Right, and then next year you can call back and say, you remember when you told me to keep it in the light? Well, I'm going to come after you. What's your address? Is that a sunny window or does it make any difference? Just well, I, they want to have sun for sure. Okay, good enough. Yeah, I mean, okay. if they don't have the sun, then they're going to look a little weep. And just realize, I don't know how many leaves you have on the stems, but all the way down you may lose some of the leaves during the wintertime. There's no oh, getting yeah, around. they're losing. They're coming off. Okay, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. Yeah, and if you, if you see them in their native habitat, too, they're not really, I mean, they're kind of like t- shrubs, and they don't have, let's say, leaves all the way down the stems on their shrubs. Let's, why don't we go ahead and take a break? We'll probably do that. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yeah, start watching the lady who called about the sap running down her trees and things like that. Fringe trees and things, well, I mean, that's the birds. I mean, they're going there. They whole series of holes, and they're using them. They're going to be coming back and getting that sap as well. And then the insects, which probably the insects are pretty much gone for this year as far as, unless we get a sort of an extended period of warmness, some of them may come back out for just a day or two or whatever it happens to be. But uh, that's what was the cause of that. So they weren't able, you know, those kind of certain insects can, you know, put holes into trees. But for the most part, those are really small holes, like the size of a pencil lead. And that's from boars, and usually it's going to be in the bottom lower part of the tree, so you can't really even see, you know, the holes. Well, you can if you really look. Let's go now to South County and into Karen's yard. Hi, Karen. Hi, good morning. Hi. We have a row of arborvitae green giants, and we've had them three or four years, and it looks like some of them are starting to die, and it's from the outside in and from the bottom up turning Mm. brown. And I've noticed that with a lot of them around the area. Is there anything specific going on or anything we should look for? No, it was just basically too much. It's moisture related, especially with evergreens. If it's, you know, from the inside or from the outside in and from the bottom up, that's usually related to the root system and it's too wet. And will those come back? No. Oh, it will not. Okay. (laughs) If the whole tree doesn't turn that way, we'll... Yeah, then the ones that stay green will stay green, but the ones that turn brown, that spot, that location will never be green again. So you can cut it off. But, yeah, that's why I always tell people, you know, make sure, and especially with evergreens, plant them higher than the surrounding ground because that will, you know, will help with the circumstance. And also, no evergreen for the most part. I mean, I shouldn't say none, but uh, they don't really want a wet soil. They just can't handle it. 
Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, so any place, you know, a lower spot in your yard, any place where your gutters are shooting water out or anything like that could be real trouble for them. So. Okay, well, that's exactly where they are. So. <laughs> <laughs> a perfectly bad location. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just too bad. You know, I mean, you wish they were tougher, but they're just not tougher. Fairview Heights, and that's where Joyce lives. Hi, Joyce. Hi. Um, I just got one question. It is, is it too late to plant my spring bulbs? No. Nope. So just make sure it's a well-drained soil, you know, and for the most part, they say they they will bloom in the, you know, in the shade, but they like the sun more so than in the shade. And uh, what type of bulbs do you have? Um, daffodils and tulips. Yeah. So they're fine. Basically with any of the bulbs, what you should do is if you, you know, just look at how big they are and you want to plant them about three times deeper than what the, let's say the, the size of the bulb is. So a daffodil bulb, usually they're going to be any place between one and two inches. So they want to go down any place between like six or seven inches deep. The tulips are a little bit smaller. So they want to go any place between four and five inches deep. So I could, could plant both of the bulbs in the same spot? Oh, yeah, sure. Then? I do that all the time in my, you know, I just do, I do, I've done it in the ground and in pots both. So some I have just a solid pot of, let's say, tulips, some a solid pot of daffodils, and then some I mix them together. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. So just make sure because the daffodils are going to go deeper that they are put in the ground first. And then just, you know, backfill up over the daffodil bulbs and then, you know, set your tulips in. Just leave the top stem of the daffodils so you can see right where they are because you don't want to necessarily put them right on top of each other. It probably won't hurt that much, but you just don't want to probably not do that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of time. Uh, I'd get it done as soon as possible because we don't know what this goofy weather is going to do because ultimately you want them to get established. Actually, you know, I, for the most part, uh, at the, when spring's over and the, the bulbs are finished flowering, I kind of just get rid of them. But some of the pots I have, you know, I miss getting rid of some of them. And some of them I was really surprised when I was planting this fall's bulbs, the ones from the previous fall, I pulled up some bulbs. And actually, they were really starting to do pretty well as far as growth-wise. So maybe I'm stupid for getting rid of them. John lives in Baldwin. Hi, John. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Good, good. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Same to you. Hey, Mike, we have a, a blue spruce in the back. It's been in the ground a couple of years, growing nicely. And uh, I noticed that the top, the top, the the branch, if you will, the top, the main uh, trunk, either a deer got at it or something and it cracked it. What do we do with that? Basically, if it's cracked and you're sure it's cracked, you might as well cut it off. All right. Because And what it'll do is, depending upon the overall health and everything else, it sounds like it's in pretty good shape, it will reestablish a new leader, a new growth point. But uh, if that's what was broken off, then uh, it, it, what you could do, depending upon how bad the fracture or the crack is, you could kind of try to you know tape it for a little bit, which you're going to have to remove the tape because it can you know ultimately squeeze or you just use a tape that will actually kind of melt on its own in the outdoors. But for the most part, once you know something is broken, the repair is really, really uh, minimal at best. All right, great. I mean, 
now my wife's saying, see, see, tape it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Yeah, just be careful if you're up on a ladder trying to tape it. But, yeah, I've fooled, you know, fooled around with the you know, lost leaders on things. And what I've used is just masking tape because it seems to, like, kind of biodegrade after a season or two. And the reason why I'm saying don't use duct tape or something like that because it's, you know, it will stay and then that will squeeze that actually branch the one that you're trying to fix and make it in worse shape than what it actually was. So thanks, John. You got it. Thank you. Yep. And everybody, uh, we're about the at the end of time when you're going to be doing too much in your yard if you have zoysia lawn because there shouldn't be any growth in the zoysia whatsoever or minimal at best. But your fescues and bluegrasses, if watch them closely because – if they're still, if they're getting, you know, more than three or three and a half inches long, you should cut them, but don't cut them down too short because that's what's causing a lot of the weed problems. People keep scalping their lawn, whether it's zoysia or anything else. And just understand that, you know, just don't do that. And you think, well, if I cut it really short, then I won't have to cut it so often. That's not really the case, and it's not good for healthy plants. But the fescues and bluegrasses, you could still have to be cutting those depending upon the weather all the way up until sometime in December. And the reason why you don't want those blades to get too long is because if we have a snow like we had or we have a lot of rain or moisture or just the humidity in general, if the blades start laying down on top of each other, that creates a humidity circumstance or a humidity problem, and that's fungus. Winter funguses are not deadly. But what they do is just kind of weaken your lawn and during the wintertime. And then that kind of sets up a scenario for the deadly fungus, which is our summer, you know, late spring, early summer, through the summer, early fall fungus. That stuff is deadly. And if your lawn is not, you know, totally healthy, that's kind of where the problem comes in. So watch out for doing that. This time of year, uh, perennials, whether you're hostas, or, you know, let's say anything that the foliage is starting to turn brown on, go ahead and just cut it off. Except anything that blooms in the fall, leave all that foliage through the entire wintertime. So the mums, the asters, and all those, don't cut them. Because that growth that's there, even though it might turn brown and everything else, actually helps protect the crown of the plant. And the crown of the plant is, I mean, that's the crucial part. If you still have some mums, and I haven't seen too many for sale at very many garden centers or anything. But if they're still available and you want to get them and try to get them in the ground, uh, it's going to be a little bit iffy as far as their ability to come back next year. But what you can do to make give it a better chance is just, again, look at where that stem is coming out of the potting mix in the pot. If you see a bunch of little leaflets right there at the ground level, then that, ch- that mom has a much better chance of coming back in the future. Any of that kind of, again, all that other stuff that blooms in the fall, don't cut it back. Leave it alone, you know, because it really helps. And watch out not only with your lawn, but also your ground covers as far as letting leaf build up in there. So you might have to set your mower high and just run over the top of it to, like, more or less mulch all those fallen leaves. If you don't do that, you can have fungus problems in your ground covers And especially I've seen some people that just, it's a lot of work. You can't really rake ground covers because you really tear them up. But running a mower over the top of it would be good. So, got another hour. 
See you guys after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Hey, Brian, get back here. I thought I wanted to talk. No, I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. You can leave. Yes, he does have work to do. That newsroom is just buzzing with all kinds of news that they got to keep straight. So, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call and get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. The number is 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. And give a call. We can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds. Uh, I, you know, I had bought, which was fine. Well, I wanted to. Uh, some of the ornamental, let's say, <laughs> edibles. I mean, you can still eat them, but like the, order, let's say, the cabbage and the kales and things like that. But, boy, I'll tell you that when it got down to like 16 or something, they didn't do so well. They really looked rough. I stuck them in the garage, so I'm going to take a look at them and just see how they look. But uh, I was a little bit concerned, even though they're called cool season vegetables and they should be able to take the cold. I think they were a little bit caught by surprise. And I still have them in pots. I don't have them in large pots. I probably have them in eight-inch pots, the size that I bought them in. And, uh, boy, I mean, they look spectacular until that really, really got cold. And that was before the snow happened. So snow is really a good thing in your outdoors because it acts as an insulator. So it does help from that standpoint if we're going to get really, really cold. So, but the snow is a humidity factor. So as I keep talking about, how about the pansies? Well, I have a couple pansies, yes. And the pansies didn't do so well either. So I'm going to have to check those out and maybe stick them back out in the sun. Your bulbs, your daffodils, your tulips, your crocus, your grape hyacinths, your hyacinths, they can still be planted. Your edibles, take a look at your edibles if you're growing some cool season vegetables, even if they're not ornamental like mine were purplish and I mean, the ornamental kale I had was so dark purple, it almost looked like Halloween because it elongated and it looked like every leaf looked like fingers coming out. And it was ooh, scary. Your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. So I'll share my thoughts. Always remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered as an option for you to consider. Greg is producing and as smooth as ever. So he's more than willing to hear you and he will let you know what, you know, where you're going to be in line and everything else. So very good producer. And uh, what I do during the week is I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and we can talk about aesthetics, we can talk about problem solving, like the lady who's a uh, Green Giant Arborvitae, they were turning brown. Well, that's because they're in a poorly drained area. No getting around it. And uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, my homepage. My email address is there and my phone number as well. And I'll come over to your home and uh, share 40-plus years of experience in the outdoors. Experience back here. And uh, uh, if you'd like to give one as a gift certificate, I do have gift, cert gift certificates I can email you. So. Works out very well. Special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 
861-3344. All the side streets, you know, in that snow, they were, I mean, they can't possibly clear them all. But all the major streets, the city street department and the state, you know, MoDOT, they did a great job. I mean, I was really surprised as I took my walk around. Uh, you know, I took a look at Gravoy. I took a look at, you know, Loftborough and places like that. They were really done well. So the tip of the trial goes out to all those workers that, uh, you know, really worked hard to make it so everybody could get out and about that needed to. So that's who gets the tip of the trial today. So, And also just the people in general that do like the park work and everything else in the city, they, I mean, they have such a huge amount of acreage to take care of, whether it's mowing, you know, there is now, I will have to say, there was one tree down in Christie Park that one of the major branches split, and uh, it's kind of been there for a little while. So Parks Department, why don't you? No. I know you got priorities. There's no getting around it. So, But uh, I appreciate all the work that the Parks Department does because it is a huge amount of efforts to take care of everything. So MoDOT and the city streets departments and the park departments as well get the tip of the trial from me today. So all kinds of other things going on. So if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over to Mascuda and see what's going on with Denise. Denise, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. So my question is... um we recently purchased a house, and, of course, the only tree that they have in the yard is one that's growing right next to the air conditioning unit. And we need to, of course, remove it. It's probably about eight foot tall by now, and uh, I need to best advice on how to, unfortunately, remove this tree. So is you mean as far as just digging it out, or you just don't want to dig it out? Well, I mean, is that the best way, just to dig down and get it out well, by the root and all that? Yeah, that would be the best thing. I mean, you can cut the top of it off. Just make sure it doesn't fall next to your house or on your air conditioning or something like that. And just, you know, start clearing the soil away from the root system. And once you get about a a foot or so away from the trunk, just take an axe or a hatchet or something like that and just chop all the major roots. Because it... You know, that's going to be the best way. If you try to kill it with some kind of, let's say, herbicide that kills woody plants... It's just going to be, you know, it's going to be a more involved process. Since the tree is the size it is, that's what I would do is cut it, you know, cut the top of it off, leave it about a, oh, a foot or so, and then start digging the soil away from the root system and then chop the root system. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways, but, I mean, hopefully they didn't plant that there unless they thought, well, I'm going to plant a tree here and then it'll shade the air conditioner unit. That is not so smart. Let's go now to Webster Groves. And Dana, how are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. How are you? Very good. Um, so I planted dahlias for the first time this year. Mm-hmm. They were glorious and great, and I'm in love. But now I apparently have to dig them back up. And I didn't get them out of the ground before the snow hit. So am I cool with, you know, if I dig them up this weekend and dry them out and hang them up in the basement, they'll be fine? Or it's like, ooh, you waited too long, they got too cold, and you're wasting your time? No, you're fine. I mean, the ground didn't really, didn't get frozen. And the dahlias have to be several inches deep, so it never got that cold that deep. 
So just be careful while you're digging them up. I'm sure you know right where they are. And uh, maybe the stem is still there, so it'll show you where, the let's say, the core or the crown actually is. But, no, you should be fine. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. Yeah, dahlias are really cool. I don't grow them too often myself, but there's a couple houses in my neighborhood. <laughs> they grow some fantastic dahlias. These, I don't know what variety it is. It's kind of an old-time variety. But uh, they get like six feet high. They're huge and massive and very, very impressive. Let's take one more call before we go on break. And Chuck in Bridgeton. Chuck, how are you? Good morning. Good. Uh, I'm having a problem with uh, some trees that I have. There's like a cutworm. Uh, usually uh, September or October, the, the branch just breaks off because the worm, it's usually about a foot long, has cut around the, the stem of the branch. I'm not talking maybe the branches are about the size of your small finger. Do you have any uh, experience with that or what I could do? Is there any type of systemic I can use to keep that from happening? Yeah, you could probably use an injection thing. But, I mean, that's... So are these branches fully leafed out? Yes. So and it's not squirrels that are chewing them? I don't think so. Uh, it's usually... It's a clean-cut... Uh, probably like maybe a sixteenth of an inch okay. uh, around the branch itself, and then just uh, there's still the core of the branch on the inside, but it's usually, I mean, maybe a third of of that it's a loop all the way around the branch, and then the, just the weight of the branch causes it to break off. Because that, I mean, that's kind of you know, I don't have any experience with that. I mean, that would be a heck of a lot of chewing for some kind of worm or something. And usually, you know, I mean, just to cut the bark off and still the heartwood of the branch would still be there, that should be strong enough to keep the thing from falling. That's why my guess was, you know, it was kind of squirrel-related because they don't have anything to do except chew. And they have to uh chew because if they don't, then their lower teeth are going to grow up into the roof of their mouth. But it may be that I would maybe have a tree service come out and take a look. But there is an injection system you could use. But I have personally never heard of this. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah. It's just, uh, I mean, like I said, if the, the, the branch has to be, you know, it has to be really chewed pretty major to get it to, if they're just taking the bark off, you got some very, you better sell that house and move. That's scary. No, it's it's not the bark. There's actually like a little track in the on the branch itself that's the wood's missing. It's but it's not very big. It's only like maybe a sixteenth of an inch. Right. I would have a tree service come out and take a look. All right. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, Kirkwood is Sterling's yard. Hi, Sterling. Hello there. Hi. Uh, I know you've answered these questions thousands of times, but... uh, in terms of pruning or, or cutting back, uh, particularly uh, boxwoods and uh, burning bushes, uh, is there a timing that, that you would suggest? 
Uh, with the burning bush, it doesn't really matter because they're so, so tough and durable. Obviously, you want to leave the foliage so you can get the full benefit of the great foliage that the burning bush has. But you can do it all the way from the time that all the leaves have fallen or the majority of the leaves have at least lost their color until the new growth begins in the spring. Any of the, you know, I just don't like to prune evergreens going into wintertime because you prune them and the, what you've cut off is the tip of the branches. They, those tips, even though it was new growth from this year, have become more acclimated. And the ones that are lower down at one time, they were new growth too. But they've been protected by the newer growth that's elongated further you know, out than what they are. So if you cut that off, you may be looking at you know where we get a really horrible cold snap. You can get some winter burn on it and... Really, then you're going to have to end up pruning it again. So with a, any kind of evergreen, I personally like to wait until after Valentine's Day to do any pruning, but before the new growth begins. Yeah, that's kind of the the approach that I was taking on the, the burning bushes, too, is, uh, you know, Valentine's Day-ish, and uh, that way you get to enjoy the fall color. Right. I mean, you can. they're tough. They're deciduous. So that's why I say you can do it during the wintertime if we have warm spell if you want to. But you can wait if you like. It's really up to you. Just make sure that with anything, you do the pruning before the new growth begins. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go. Let's see. We were at Sterling's Yard. Now we're going to Melody. Wow. Kind of cool names. Melody lives well, in you. Festus. Hi, I love your show. I've got a, a situation here. I'm just dangerous and dangerously old enough to, to be reading about a plant. I want to make sure I'm doing right. I got a friend that can't put in-ground hydrangeas, so they're in containers. And I have in the past had a little bit of success of wintering them over the winter in the container that is protected. Am I kind of thinking that I can do that with established hydrangea? How large is it? Uh, it's not as big as an icebox, but it's as big as probably, um, I'm going to say a bale of hay. Wow. And how big is the pot it's growing in? Well, I made sure when I planted them that they had a wide berth. So their root ball was about half this summer when I put them in. And they, when we, when we uh, weathered them just recently, they still had blooms on them. Right. But I mean, as far as, you know, the ability to survive during the wintertime in a pot, how big is a pot they're actually growing in? They're probably about, uh, I want to say, three and a half feet across. Wow. They're round pots. They're pretty big pots, and we got them in a, a storage um, facility, but it doesn't have um, heat. And that- then we took um, straw and bedded them down. And I'm just wondering if I can get surprised next year and they'll come back, or should I not have too much hope for it all? I think they should be fine. I would just what I would be concerned with is if they're inside. So you're saying they're underneath a roof, right? They are. They're they're in completely enclosed. It's just not heated. Right. That's fine. But just make sure because it's going to get really, really dry and the root system could ha- yes. suffer damage that about every month or so you take a gallon or a couple gallons of water out and water. And give them a drink. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I read. And, and so that's what we're doing. We're going to try to mimic um, Mother Earth. And <laughs> I've even, I've grown hydrangea for almost 50 years. And I can even graft them and get new plants. So I feel real good about the plant. I just haven't done this. And, you know, 
uh, on a big scale of weathering them outside, right. so to speak. You should, okay. I mean, they should be fine. Now, is this a cement floor they're going to be sitting on? No, they're going to be sitting on a pallet. Good. Up off the concrete, because like I say, I'm an old gardener, and I've done a lot of different things, and I had read about this, and this is our project for the winter. Yeah, that's perfect because you don't want to leave them sitting on any kind of concrete flooring at all. So if they're sitting up on a pallet, that's just perfect. Good, good. Well, I love your show. I learned so much. As Jefferson said, I'm an old man but a young gardener. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, that's really crucial because... It's for some reason sitting on the cold, you know, whether it's a garage or carport or anything on concrete can really do some major damage to potted plants. So you got everything just right. Cool. Well, listen, I know I'll call back in a few weeks. I got some other questions, but I really enjoy your show. You are awesome and you give us gardeners so much support. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on your show. So let's go now from Festus up to Florissant and into Susan's yard. Hi, Susan. Uh, Yes. Um, I have two maiden grass that I put in this year around, I guess it was the late April, beginning of May. Mm -hmm. Um, When do I cut them back down? Yeah, it's personal choice. Some people, they've already cut them off, you know, cut them off to about a foot or so or eight or nine inches, depending upon how big they are. And if some people leave them through most of the wintertime. What they will do if you leave them is the blades will finally just sort of shatter and break away from, let's say, the mother plant and just kind of create, a, let's say, a, a visual mess. But it's not really problematic for the, for the, you know, the maiden grass whatsoever. So it's kind of your personal choice. When the clumps get bigger, just understand that they are a clump grower and they migrate out from where they originally were planted and that sort of center from the original plant won't put out any new blades. So as, as they mature, just that will happen. And so I've told people, and they've done it in the past, is they like to, you know, they kind of like to look at the flower and the kind of the willowy aspect of the blades during the wintertime. So they just put a bungee cord around them and hold them, you know, hold them up. So that way, when the springtime comes around, before the new growth begins, they can just go out with a hedge pruner or whatever they want to do as far as cutting them. Okay. I have one other question. Um, I also put in a uh, Japanese maple blood good. And um, do I continue? Now, I know we had the snow and everything. Uh, Do I continue to water that through the winter? Uh, If we have extended dry periods, definitely. So in other words, if we have, you know, let's say two weeks with no snow, no rain, no nothing, I would take some water out and don't pour it right at the base of the trunk, a couple inches out away from it, depending upon how big it is, just to make sure because if the ground gets really dehydrated due to no rain, no snow, no whatever, then that could really do some damage to, let's say, a newly installed plant's root system. Can I ask you one real quick question? Sure. <laughs> um, I have uh, four mum plants that I bought, and I just kept them in the pots, basically kind of for decoration out front. Can I put them in the ground You now? can, but as far as their ability to survive the wintertime, it's going to be very iffy. Okay. So, I mean, you may have great success, but you may not. Okay. And like I said during the first hour, always look, you know, at your pots and, you know, look at where the stem's coming up out of the potting mix. There should be some little bitty leaflets right there at the ground level of the potting mix. That really is a good indication that at least you have, 
you know, a fairly decent chance of their survival. Don't cut them off, though. Like I said, just leave all that growth through the entire winter time. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Weekday mornings. Start your day with Total Information AM. I'm Tom Ackerman. I'm Debbie Monterey. Tom and Debbie keep you updated with world, national, and local news. Local news matters. We cover the morning commute with Roger Brand and Maria Kina. Couple of accidents in the city. Report of an accident at Westbound 70 at Broadway. And you get the latest weather. This is Hacky with the meteorologist team. DeVore Breezy and turning much cooler today. And everything sports. Uh, a lot of good chances for the Blues. Total Information AM. I listen to it. I feel ready to go for the day. Weekday mornings beginning at 5 on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. All those numbers almost sound methodical. Methodical? Yes. Scott lives in Waterloo. Hi, Scott. How are you? Good, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. I have a few questions about uh, trimming back shrubs and trees. Uh, we've planted a new or built a new house and planted trees and shrubs as we've gone in the last few years. And I've got a few green giant arborvitas that are still in their pots and I haven't gotten in the ground yet. Are they okay outside for the winter or um, should I bring them in or how should I treat them? Yeah, you can't bring them in. They got to be outside in the weather and everything else. Just make sure if you don't have the opportunity or the chance to dig, dig a hole and drop the pot down into a hole, that would be the best insulation you could possibly do. If you don't do that, you know, kind of cluster them together and put some uh, straw or mulch or something around the perimeter to give them a little bit of insulation. But uh, beyond okay. that, that's about all you really need to do. Okay, good. Um, and then I have maples and oaks out planted in the yard that are – 8, 10, 12 feet tall, and, and the time to limb them would be after this first freeze, and so I could limb them any time, is that correct? Well, basically, the maples prefer to be pruned in the summertime. There's less sap flow in the summer than there is during the wintertime. So maples, okay. beeches, and birches, like summertime pruning, or it is kind of the best, and pretty much everything is you know, the wintertime before the new growth begins the following spring. Okay. What about a weeping willow? Uh, I would say just leave it alone unless you just have to because I don't know how how long have most of these things been in the ground? A year. Well, uh, the, the willow a year. Okay. Um, and the other ones? The rest of them years. Several years? Yeah. Anything that's been in the ground for a year, definitely do not do any pruning because you want to leave as much foliage, as much branches as you possibly can so you can have as much foliage for the next couple years because the foliage is actually what makes food. Nutrients and moisture come up from the roots through the root system, go up to the leaves, and they use the leaves use sunlight to make food, and that you know helps the root system establish better. It helps the tree to grow, and it helps everything else. So, yeah, for the first couple of years, I don't like to do any pruning on anything. Okay. And one final question. How about uh, hydrangeas and Hycenas, uh Rose of Sharon bushes? When, when do I, should I cut those back? Well, Rose of Sharon blooms in the summertime. So if they've been in you know, for a couple of years, you can prune those all the way up and, you know, from this point forward until the new growth begins. So even though you're not going to see any flowers with the new growth, you're going to see foliage. But get, it, get them pruned, 
you know, before that time. And the hydrangeas, I would say don't prune. Okay. Ever. Even, even <laughs> to, oh, really, even to shape the shrub? Yeah, you, you, they don't need any shaping. I mean, we try to turn things into, like, things we've made at, at a pottery, you know, taking a pottery class or something. But, no, I would say just kind of leave them alone. It seems like people do pruning on hydrangeas so much, and it kind of knocks them, you know, out of, off course. And especially depending upon, because there's a lot of different kinds of hydrangeas. There's PG that blooms in the springtime. Then there's some that bloom in the summer. Then there's oak leaf hydrangea. There's all kinds of different ones. And each of them kind of have their own little quirkiness. That's why I'm saying unless you just have to, I would just leave them alone. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you, sir. Yep. And uh, you'll enjoy them a lot more. So let's see what's going on in Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. I have a, a question about, is it too late for me to trim back my knockout rose bushes? No, it's too early. Oh, it's too early. Yeah. Wait for another couple weeks. Oh, okay. And then um, I've got a uh, croton, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I brought it in. And I also have a like a majesty palm that I brought in, because I have them on the deck and pot, so I just brought them in for the winter, so it's the first time I've brought outdoor plants in. Right. So I just touch the top of the soil, and if it feels dry, then I'm watering it. But I see that, you know, it comes down through the bottom in like a catch saucer. Right. Um, I am going to see leaf drop just because they're adjusting or... Yeah, there's no getting around. The croton's a little bit difficult to grow as a house plant unless you have it in front of a super bright window or underneath a grow light. So, I mean, that's... And the palm is going to be a little bit different they can handle a little bit, little bit lower light, but both of them would really like to have the maximum amount of light possible. And then as far as watering go, I just like to watch the potting mix shrink from the inside of the pot. Once there's a little gap there, then water it. And with the croton and the palm, really, they don't want to be more or less sitting in water. But if you right. don't overwater, then, I mean, some people will lift them up and then dump the water out of the saucer. I would say just leave the water there because it's going to evaporate anyway, and you're just creating humidity. But don't let okay. them sit in water for you know, more than, a, let's say, a, a few days. If the water's still there after a few days, then dump the water out of the saucer. Okay. Okie doke. I think, I think that was about all I had. <laughs> all right. I thank you for your show. Sure. Yeah, right. the Crotons I like. You know, they're one of my favorites. But, they, you know, they are very, very touchy as, as far as being overly watered. And I have a bunch of pots in front of my front door. And uh, I think it was either last year or two years ago. As far as color-wise, I mean, I've had all kinds of different things. This year I did cannas for the main color. But uh, one year I decided to do crotons. So I got all kinds of crotons, different kinds of and splatter leaves and everything else. And... Uh, put them in different sizes and they really are striking. I like them a lot, but I didn't try to save any of them. You know, that's just me being whatever, but thanks Nancy. And now let's go to Stephen Baldwin. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Real good. I have a couple of problem areas. They're planting areas that have been established for about 10 years and they have a mix of different plants in them. But the bulk of the area where I used to put annuals, I made the mistake of going to a local park and getting some of their ground-up stuff at the end of the season to use for ground cover. Ooh. Since then, I've been plagued with everything under the sun coming up, and I could scrape it with a stirrup hole. I haven't sprayed anything, but it seems like I could scrape it, have it perfectly clean, and within a week, everything's coming back up. <laughs> what 
what can I do to kind of neutralize this without removing everything from the planting beds? Uh, that's a tough one because they're probably whatever it is that's coming up. It's either the, there was seeds within the you know the stuff that you got, or there is you know they've been established enough. So even though you think you're removing them, you may be let's say cutting the above ground growth, but the root system's there, and these things are just coming back from the root system. So you're in a very tough situation. So uh, short of using some kind of herbicide. There's not really too much you can do because somebody may say, well, just put four or five inches of good mulch over the top of it, and that will suppress it. But then you're getting mulch so high up on some of the plant materials that you're trying to grow in there that that could be problematic in its own right. Okay. If I was to put like a a piece of heavy plastic over the plants in the back, I have a few lilacs and and a few uh, little hydrangeas in the back of this area, protect them and then spray the bed with Roundup. Yeah, you could either spray or you could just get, you know, a wick applicator, which is more or less a, a plastic bottle that you put the herbicide in, a tube and a sponge, and you can just go around and dab right onto the plant material so you you get no drift. Or you can just, let's say you can't find a wick applicator, so you just take Roundup in a bowl and a paintbrush and just go out there and paint it directly onto the weeds that you're trying to okay. kill. Okay, yeah, it's about 10 foot long and about 4 foot wide. So yeah. It's a pretty good project, but like I say, it's, it's exasperating. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like I, I walk back in the house, but I can almost hear it growing. Right, absolutely. Okay. That's why, I mean, there is something, you know, to composting things rather than just taking stuff that's, you know, who knows what and where. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, I learned my lesson. <laughs> I, your garden, I, now I go get the California gold from the, uh, from your your buddy down there in Valley Park. It's All right, wonderful. But then these the weeds love that stuff. They just eat. The, then they really get it. <laughs> okay, thank you ever so much. Sure. And 314-436-7900 or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Jenny and Creve Core. Good morning. Hi. Um, I got part of my answer question. My question answered about the um, knockout roses, but how low can they be pruned or cut back whenever I can do it? Well, I are you know that's one of the things. Some people I've seen them cut them back to. In my pots, I cut them back to about fifteen inches. Okay. And then you know put them in the garage. Blah 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 blah. Some people have I've seen them cut even lower than that, like down to six inches. That seems a bit extreme to me. And then I've seen some people that don't cut them back at all, and they just remove. Let's say in the springtime before the new growth begins, then they kind of cut off some of the stems that may be longer, or they don't like you know that particular look in that particular location of that stem. So okay. you got you know, a full gamut of things. Right, yeah. and the last. I have azaleas, and I have one bush that has absolutely exploded. It's old, and my family keeps telling me, prune it back, prune it back, and I do whack at it, but what is the best time to prune these plants? Well, the best time is not to prune. But oh, This one is like five feet high and eight feet wide. You should be <laughs> proud. I mean, there's plenty of people that have spent hundreds and thousands of dollars that don't have any of them that can survive. But if you want to prune them, you got to prune them basically right after they flower. And, you know, I don't know what variety this is or anything else, but just make sure when you prune it, you don't cut it back to where there, I'm assuming this is an evergreen azalea, cut it back to where there's no leaves because that is going to be really problematic. 
Yeah, I couldn't. It's too large for that. But I'm glad that you said that they shouldn't be pruned because my husband's listening. (laughs) 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 Okay, thank you so much, and thank you for your show. Well, thank you. And, yeah, the whole thing is, you know, it's kind of like haircuts. I'm not really so much into haircuts, and I've seen some people that are just— I don't want to say nuts, but I mean, they're trying to turn their shrubbery in the outdoors and to look like something, like I said earlier, something that they made at a pottery, you know, made pottery or it's something they bought in a particular shape. I mean, nature is nature. I'm not saying you have to do just because I'm saying it, but we over prune a lot of different things and we cause, you know, if you like it, that's, I understand, but uh, some of it just, it looks too creepy to me. (laughs) Thank you so much. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey, Blues fans, Chris Gerber here, and the puck drops tonight in San Jose. The Blues wrap up a three-game road trip, 9 o'clock pregame, 9.30 face-off, right here on the home of your St. Louis Blues, KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. I'm not exactly sure what the race was down Market Street and whatever, but uh, it looks like the race is over and people are migrating away. So, oh, I, please be careful when you're crossing that street. That shows you we're looking right out onto it. Somebody almost stepped out in front of a car. <laughs> Breaking news. Let's go to Rolla, Missouri and into Dan's yard. Hi, Dan. Uh, morning, Mike. Uh, I've got a question for you. I, I, of course, I never miss your show, but I know you're kind of down on pruning. But I wonder, what's, what's your take on maybe making a bonsai? I have a gardenia I have to bring in every year. Mm-hmm. It's gotten huge, and I was thinking, is there any way I could make it smaller? Once it's gotten big, it's hard to get it back to small. So I, most of the time, like with bonsai, I did bonsai for years. And uh, you got to start off with small and just kind of control the growth You know, from that standpoint. I'm going to say they have to be tiny. But if you've got something big to take it to small, that could be really, really rough. And you've had great luck with the gardenia because a lot of people can't even get them to survive during the wintertime. They drop all their foliage and become just aesthetically a nightmare. And that's not to say they're dead. They just get rid of them because they don't want to look at them anymore. But, yeah, I mean, if you selectively start taking maybe some of the longest branches off all the way back to where they are intersecting with whatever branch or trunk that they're growing off of, and just slowly try to do it that way. Okay. Don't take off a whole bunch, you know. So in other words, don't shear it and, and make it roundish. Just kind of make it so it's going to look somewhat natural, but take out some of the longest branches. That would probably be what I'd recommend. Okay, and I probably should do that in the summer? Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't do it. In the wintertime, again, uh, I mean, they're so stressed out. Anything, any house plant is stressed out. And to prune at this time of year going into wintertime is probably not the best. I would say when we're coming out of wintertime, then that would be the time I would do it. Okay, that's great. Thanks a million. Certainly. Yeah, bonsai was something I really got into. I did a lot when I was in school in Southern California. I really, you know, and when I came back, I still have some of my bonsai dishes. And occasionally I fool around with it a little bit, but... uh, it's a, you know, I mean, you really got to know what you're doing. That's why there's a bonsai society here. And if you really want to get into it, maybe go to a bonsai society meeting and talk to them about it. Because that might be to your advantage. I know you live in Rolla and the bonsai society meets at the Botanical Garden. But I'm sure they probably have a website. So you could check that out, too. Well, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a plant. 
plant I, I uh, have a sentimental attachment to from a friend who passed away. Ah. So I'm trying to keep it, you know, healthy. Right. I was a little worried about messing with it. Yeah, I would say if you've had great success for however long, I wouldn't fool with it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a million. Sure. It's too often we try to do something, and many times it turns out to be great, but sometimes it doesn't. Jim in South County, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you this morning? Very good. Good, good. Hey, I have a, kind of a stupid question, I guess, but I, I bought some bulbs to plant for next year. They're um, things like crocuses and irises and whatnot, and I was planning on planting them, and I kind of forgot about them. Is it too late to put those in, or can I store them in some fashion and, and plant them in the spring? Well, you can store them, but I wouldn't. I'd just go ahead and plant them. Now, are these bulb iris, or are these the tuber-type iris? Uh, bulb. Okay. Bulb. Yeah, so any that sounds like you have kind of minor bulbs, so some of the smaller bulbs, so they only want to go down about two inches, so as okay, far as depth wise, and a, you know, improved soil and a well drained area, but you got plenty of time to get them in the ground. Okay, great. I thought maybe I was too late. So. No, 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 not at all. Okay, fantastic. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, the minor bulbs are the ones that are smaller, like grape hyacinths, even the regular hyacinth, which is kind of a bigger bulb. That's, they should only go down about uh, two inches or so. But the ones that are really small, uh, they don't, don't plant them too deep. So about two inches or so. I mean, there's flowering onions. There's all kinds of different things, too. And uh, it's all dictated by the size of the bulb, how deep they go. The daffodils are the deepest. And, well, fritillarias are deep, too. But who gets a fritillaria? I always see them for sale. I grew them for a couple years. I got kind of bored with them. So I just kind of let them go. And uh, when we moved out of Soulard, I just left them, you know, and that was like 10 years ago. I don't, I should go back, go back by the house and see if they're still there. But fertile areas, any of the really bigger bulbs need to go deepest. And then the tulips in the middle and then the minor bulbs are up near the surface. So only one or two inches deep. And with your bulbs, only two inches or so of mulch over the top of them. Don't bury them in too much mulch because that's going to be problematic. And you can use whatever mulch that you get from St. Louis Composting for sure. But uh, just watch out like what the gentleman called about where he got some, let's say, mulch from the city or wherever it was, and it created a weed problem for him. Uh, Another thing, too, a lot of people during the week send emails to me and ask me for a question. A question I got this past week, first time I've ever had this kind of question And the gentleman said, I've got a uh, slab of concrete. And he wanted to know how much soil, depth-wise, that he needed to put on top of that concrete to be able to grow. I think he wanted to grow grass, but I can't remember for sure what he wanted to grow. And I just told him, I said, you're really looking at a real nightmare. He said up to three feet. Now, I don't know if he's putting, you know, retaining walls around it or whatever it happens to be. But you should break up that concrete and just watch out. Because, the, I mean, it's going to cause real problems from alkalinity and everything else, whatever you try to grow there, no matter how much depth you put. So I told him, I said, I know you probably don't want to hear this, but you're going to have to take a sledgehammer out there and start chipping out some of these, you know, let's say pieces so you can let the water drain through. The alkalinity, that won't affect all that much because it's still going to stay pretty alkaline. And just kind of, that was, you know, I've never had a question like that before, so it really kind of caught me by surprise. But if you do have any questions or concerns, and I'm sorry the show is pretty much over for today, I will be back next week, at least I think so. I haven't received any kind of 
message saying, don't bother coming back, turn in your door key and you won't be able to get back in. But, uh, this has been the craziest, wildest year plant-wise that I've ever seen. Those super wet areas, super, dry, I mean, periods of time, super dry, everything else that's going on. But that's the sort of the magic and the fun of being in the outdoors. Yes, certain things are really, it gets a little depressing because, oh, they didn't survive. But that's kind of all the fun of it. So just enjoy these warmer days, and I will, I hope, see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.